0: The end of another year. Ah, I mean, the telephone poles are passing by pretty fast these days. You know what I mean? You know, you know, look out the window of the car and they're just, they're going by pretty quickly, it seems like to me. I've been talking about kingdom keys to an abundant life, that we might experience much love, many blessings, and great favor. And the key is understanding the power of the Word of God. That in God's word, there are principles that apply to every life, every circumstance of life, every aspect of your life. Our text has been Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. I won't read it, where we've been talking about these very principles. Specifically, in verse 22, it says that these principles are health to all our flesh. And as we pointed out, that word health literally means a medicine, a prescription for fixing what's wrong in our lives. And so what we've tried to also show you is that because the devil knows this, you know, if I were to ask you, let me just stop for a moment and interject and say it this way. What's the answer to all of your problems? God. Who is Jesus? He's God manifest in the flesh. So when we say that Jesus is the answer to all our problems, that's true. Who else is Jesus? He is the Word, the living Word. Amen. Amen. You believe in Him, who you believe in? The Word. He will fix your problem. What Satan has always tried to do is get people not to believe in the Word. So if He can make you question the credibility of the Word of God, then you are not as inclined to receive the medicine or the prescription, no more than you would be inclined. Perhaps to go to a doctor that you questioned his ability, you know, and had reason to doubt maybe the prescription he was giving you was efficacious in terms of being able to meet the the physical needs you have. Africa, there are all these horrific diseases that, that we see in other parts of the world that are no longer anything to even fear in America. Dr. Roosevelt Alcorn one time told me, that river blindness, which is a problem in Africa, can be treated with an application. And help me out, doctors, and if you're in the building or nurses, with vitamin E at infancy, it prevents river blindness. You realize how inexpensive vitamin E is; they cost cents, pennies. Can eradicate river blindness, but if you don't have the medicine, look at the horrific results. Similarly, if you don't have the medicine of God's Word. Look at the horrific results in terms of society. And you know, I I realize that sometimes I'm I'm very, um, how shall I say this, very direct. (laughs) No, let let me rephrase that. I always endeavor to be extraordinarily diplomatic and (laughs) tactful. It's true, I do endeavor, it just doesn't always come out that way. And I've said things like during this presidential season that while we ought to be grateful for our right to vote and exercise that as Christians, really, we got off track somewhere in this nation by believing that answers came from Washington when they actually come from God. And we as believers must never forget that it's the Lord who is our shepherd. See, people forget that and get all caught up in this thing. And, you know, if you ever stop taking the medicine, The results in society have been horrific, horrific. Having said that, whenever you discover that you do not have faith in the Word of God anymore and that that is your only source of deliverance, and how many of you have ever been to a point where every other avenue and option you had has has turned out to be a dead end? You know what I'm talking about? You ever run out of options in your life? Ever. Oh, yeah. Well, that won't happen to you. And then you discover the only one you really have is the one you started with that was the only real option anyway, and that was God. And that's where so many people get saved, right there. They run out of other options and come to God as a last resort instead of coming to God first. And they carry all this woundedness and brokenness with them into the church and it takes a lifetime to get over it. But if they'd come to God first, they could have spared themselves all this. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm not casting aspersions or throwing stones. It's true of me. And so the enemy's job is to make sure you don't get the medicine. How does he do that? By undermining the credibility of the Word of God. And so we find ourselves in moments of crisis like the man did in Mark chapter 9, who was the father. That's the other text I've been using. The father who brought his son possessed of a demonic spirit to Jesus, and he cried out when he realized that his faith had been undermined in God. This is what he said, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Because he understood that his boy's deliverance was directly tied into his ability to believe God and his word. But things had happened circumstantially over the course of his life that had eroded his confidence in God's word. And so in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, we've been reading about the fact that among these many things that we need to understand about God that His Word can do for us, one of the things His Word does is tell us that we have a destiny and we have purpose. In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. So today, I'm closing. I've been in a series, a mini-series within this, this entire series about Kingdom Keys One of the things I've been teaching is 12 immutable laws of destiny. And immutable means unchanging. Just give you a little heads up. Clue, okay? Spoiler alert here. I'll tell you up front. Okay? The fact that these laws are immutable makes them different from our laws on earth. Have you ever noticed that we're always changing ours? Come on, help me out, somebody. We make laws and change them. When God makes a law, it never changes. <laughs> and the reason it doesn't change is because He doesn't change. The reason we change ours is because we do change. <laughs> Amen. This again give you a little insight into the difference between religion and relationship with God. Religion has all these rules. A good way to identify whether it's religion that somebody's in. If you're 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 wanting to look at yourself and say am I am I in religion or relationship is to ask yourself this question are the rules changing? <laughs> because if they're changing, trust me, it's man-made rules. Because God's doesn't ever change. And I came from a background. I know a little bit about man-made rules. Let me just ask you a question, just a little diversion here. How many of you were raised in a church that taught television is wrong? It will send you to oh yeah. Oh, yeah. a uh, minute. Uh, we went to the same church. I didn't see you there. <laughs> this is the way a lot of folk got around it when I was growing up. I told you, I, I came from the SEAL team, baby. Amen. You know, listen, because it, they would preach against, you can't have a television in your home. I actually know of people who removed the air conditioning unit from the window frame, you know, where the air conditioner slid in. The frame set outside the window. You put the air conditioner in the frame that sits outside the window, sits on the seal. They removed the the, the air conditioner and put a TV in it. That way they could say, I don't have a TV in my home. (laughs) It's not. It's on the window seal outside the house. You think I'm making that up? I'm not. I know preachers that did that to be able to get along in their denomination. I know some that put them in their their garage or in their barn to say, I don't want my house. You know? Isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) And that's religion. God's rules never change. I just pulled this up on the Internet. I thought this was cute. Because there, there are many laws that men make, not just in religion, but even our civil laws we make, we're always changing those. Consider These are laws that are still on the books that they're talking about repealing in some of our states. They sound ridiculous, but they're still on the books. They're just not prosecuted. In Alabama, it is illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. In Alabama, it is also illegal to wear a fake mustache to church because it may cause laughter in the church. In California... It is illegal to shoot at game from a moving vehicle unless it is a whale. In California, women may not dress in a house coat and drive. Oh, it got real quiet here. There'd be all kind. Of <laughs> the police, the paddy wagons would be lined up at the local schools on Monday morning. I can tell you the truth. Amen. Florida, a special law prohibits unmarried women from parachuting on Sunday, or they face the risk of arrest, arrest, fine, or being put in jail. In Florida, it is also illegal uh, to leave an elephant tied to a parking meter unless you pay the fine just like you would for a vehicle. So if you have a pet elephant and you're carrying it around with you in Florida, be sure to pay the fine, uh, the, the, put coins in the slot, I mean to say. Indiana, get this one. Baths may not be taken between the months of October and March. That's why when you get up around Illinois, Ohio, those months of the year, I'm teasing. Louisiana, it is illegal to rob a bank and then shoot the teller with a water pistol. Nebraska, it is illegal for bar owners to sell beer unless they are simultaneously brewing a pot of kettle or or a pot of soup, a kettle of soup, I mean to say. In New York, I love this one. A fine, this is still on the books, a fine of $25 can be levied for flirting. This law specifically prohibits men from turning around on any city street and looking at a woman in that way. In fact, a second conviction for a crime of this magnitude calls for the violating or offending male to be forced to wear a pair of horse blinders (laughs) wherever and whenever he goes out for a stroll. That is a quote from the law. North Dakota, it is illegal to lie down and fall asleep with your shoes on. Arizona, it's illegal to let a donkey sleep in a bathtub. Texas, our state, it is still illegal to drive without windshield wipers. You don't need a windshield, but you must have windshield wipers. Now, those are the facts. Amen. Why am I saying this? It is because this is the difference in man's laws and God's. Men are always making laws both in religion and out of it that over time, will change and that is what distinguishes between god's law and man's and that's how you know the difference for the sake of continuity real quick 2 minutes the 10 immutable or unchanging laws of destiny that i've given you are this every thing god made has a purpose number 2 since he made you that means you have a purpose we call that destiny number 3 when he created you he equipped you with the gifts And released in the heavenlies the resources that you must have to fulfill that destiny. Number four, everything he gives, he gives in seed form. Number five, it is your responsibility to both grow and develop those gifts from seed form and to obtain and pull into this dimension the resources he's released in that one. You do that through prayer and intercession. Number six, when you achieve the purposes for which he created you, you will experience inner fulfillment. Kingdom purposes will be achieved. And you will bring your creator glory and honor. Number seven, Satan always opposes the development of your gifts. Or if you pursue God or through effort, seek to develop them and do develop them, Satan will then seek to try to subvert them, to use them to further the objectives of His fallen kingdom. Number nine, the greater the opposition you face, the more hell you've gone through. That's a clue as to the greatness of your destiny. If you stay faithful and committed, number nine, to God and His plans for your life, you will experience divine immunity. That is, you cannot fail. Number ten, rather than allowing the enemy to be successful, God will instead turn the weapons and strategies Advised by the enemy against him. Every one of us that have a destiny, and we all do, the enemy has a strategy to try and cause that to not be fulfilled. God will turn that against the enemy. Today, I want to look at the last two, 11 and 12. Number 11, there is a set time for you to fulfill your purpose and to achieve your destiny. There is a set time. If God created you for a purpose, he also has a time that has been set for that purpose to be manifest. And you need to know your time to be manifested for who you really are. You need to know that time is coming. I want you to just say, my time is coming, would you do that? may not feel like it, but this is not about feelings. It's about what God says. And I'm going to show you before I'm done that God said your time is coming. Romans eight nineteen through 20. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. What does that mean? Well, first of all, if there's waiting going on, it means manifestation has not yet occurred. But if this verse holds out the hope that manifestation is coming... You and I are among those sons of God that are going to be made manifest. This is what Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. I need somebody to say to everything there is a season. Are you a thing? What's a noun? Person, place, animal, or thing? A time for every purpose under heaven. The Hebrew word for season means literally, this is from Strong's Concordance, an appointed occasion. Not just a time, but it actually speaks of the event itself being appointed. That means that When God created you, he actually, in speaking destiny into your life, has created a time when that occasion is coming. When it says, every season, the occasion is coming. Let me just say it like this. Whatever you're supposed to be, whoever you're supposed to be, that time is coming. There are two different Greek words in the Bible that are used for time. I've shared this with you before, but it's important enough that we need to talk about this again within this context. Because these two Greek words that we read in the Bible for time have entirely different meanings, one from the other. And yet they're both very applicable in our lives. They both have significant meaning that we relate to at some point in our lives. The first Greek word that is the most common and that is used the most often is the word chronos. And that literally means the passage of ordinary time, such as seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, centuries, millenniums, eons, ages. That word, chronos, is the word that we get, our word. You know, English, you're aware, has many, many words that incorporate other words from different languages into it and use those words as root words to form common English words. Chronographer, chronograph, chronology. All of these are based on this Greek word, chronos. It's the passage of ordinary time. Most people are just walking it out. Walking it out. Living day to day, that's in chronos time. There's a different Greek word that is used in the Bible, and this is the one that pertains to the occasion of destiny. They both actually relate to destiny, as I'm going to show you. But the second Greek word is kairos. This means an appointed time, an ordained time, a set time. I'll give you an example of the two and how they differ. In Galatians 4, is it verse 4? The Scripture says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman and born under the law. The word that is translated time there is kronos. In the fullness of kronos, or in the fullness of ordinary time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born under the law. And here's what's significant. God laid out a pattern and a plan through the ages. And Jesus was not to come in the first century of this earth's creation. All this stuff that had to be done first and set up before Jesus came. And so he laid this out sequentially. And somewhere in the distant future from when the earth began and man failed, there was going to come a day when Jesus would be born. So when that fullness of time came about, that chronos time occurred when the hour finally rolled around, the day on the calendar finally showed up. Guess what happened? Jesus was born. That's completely different from this word kairos because Jesus, who is living in Chronos time, says this about himself in John 7, verses 6 and 7. My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Okay? John 6 and 7, do you got that? Or 7, verses 6 and 7. Do you have that one up there? Okay, watch it because this is this is important, amen. You have Chronos time that you're living in, but within Kronos time, there is Kairos time. So you're walking it out in Chronos time. I'm just, just stay with me while I build my case. But then will come an occasion, <laughs> because what is that word to every season, everything there is a season rather. There is an occasion when within the context of the greater measure of your life that began when you were born and will end when you die, somewhere in there, Kairos time has been appointed. Amen. And the question is, which one are you living in? Because you see, most people live most of their lives, if not all of their lives, in Kronos time. And you need to understand What makes you move from one to the other? I look at Moses. Moses must have often wondered what happened to my life. Raised in Egypt, you talk about fantastic opportunities and beginning. Moses had it. You know anybody else connected with a kingdom that had this kind of auspicious start? raised as Pharaoh's son in Pharaoh's palace, educated in the sciences of Egypt. This man was was brilliant, schooled by the scholars of his day. Now let's transition and roll forward 40 years into the future. And we see this same man who has had such an auspicious, auspicious start sitting on the backside of a desert in the middle of one of the most inhospitable and harsh places on the face of the planet where it gets less than a half inch of rain every 10 years. And he's taking care of sheep that are not even his own. To me, it's amazing that we can read the Bible and not see some stuff that is just like right there in our face. We read that, and we go on and read how Moses turned aside and saw a burning bush. Yay! You know, isn't that wonderful? But we overlook the human pathos that Moses must have been experiencing in those 40 years. Talk about squander a, a chance. Talk about moving from a great beginning. Talk about underachieving. Talk about messing it up. Talk about feeling like a failure. Whoa, look at Moses. I mean, I don't know anybody in this building that's had that kind of a beginning. But to go from that to where Moses was, how do you do that? How many times do you think? Come on, be realistic with me. Because Moses, we look at all these people in the Bible like they were, they were saints, man. They never had the thoughts we have. Oh, yeah, they were human like we were. The Bible says that. Even Elijah, of the most powerful prophets that ever lived, James five was a man subject to pa- like passions such as we had the same thoughts, emotions we have. Now recognize this fact about Moses and realize that if you had had that kind of beginning and ended up where he has ended up, wouldn't you be thinking, "Boy, did I ever mess up!" By now, I plan to have made something out of my life. Come on, get real with me. At this point, I should have made my mark. And here I am. Nobody knows me, knows where I'm at. I've blown the best chance any man could ever have. How did I get from there to here? Huh. Talk about ending up at the bottom of your class. Man, have I done it. I've torn it here. Huh. I don't know how I messed up so bad. How many people in this room today are saying, in spite of my degrees, how did I end up where I'm at right now? How many people in this room are saying, by now I plan to have my own business. I'm still working for the man. By now I plan to have my own ministry. By now, I plan to be doing something with my life. By now, I should have made my mark. By now, my now, my life should count for something. And where am I at? I'm on the backside of a desert, and guess what? That bunch of mangy, flea-bitten sheep I'm looking at aren't even mine. I not only have messed up, I don't even have my own flock. Not just don't have a business. I don't even have my own flock. How did I end up here? Moses was a man just like we are. You know he had to be thinking all of these thoughts. And for 40 years, he's walking through Kronos time. But you know what changes Kronos time to Kairos time? It's when you have a God encounter. Because all of a sudden, he saw a bush that was burning that was not consumed. And he turned aside to see it. Now, when you read that, he saw a bush that was not consumed. Don't read that he was just innately curious and turned aside to see this wonderful curiosity. No, you need to understand that he believed, as did the Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. And so when he saw that bush burning. There were connotations of divinity associated with that. And that the bush was not being consumed. And he sees this. And he turns aside. Not just to see what this amazing wonder is that's taking place. There are connotations in this of I'm turning aside. Because God is connected with this in some way. And he had a God encounter. And buddy. If you want to step out of Kronos time into Kairos time, stop seeking purpose and start seeking an encounter with God. Because too many of us are seeking purpose when we ought to be seeking God. And the problem is it's never been about us to begin with, but we've made it about us. Hello, somebody. It's always been about him and his plans and his purposes and his will. But we forget that. Uh, Particularly today in a society that is addicted to self-help and introspection. Come on, help me out. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can advertise a seminar for inner healing on being potty trained incorrectly. And you'll have... You'll have a line from here down to the courthouse because all of us are looking to heal the inner man. And I've said it so many times. Just let me be frank with And I believe in all of that. Don't think that I don't. But I'm going to use a little hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is? It's purposeful, deliberate, over-exaggeration to make a point. So I'm going I'm to get a little overboard here so don't be offended. And we're, we're, you know, I believe in inner healing and all of that, but we've carried it to such a ridiculous place as a society that we're, you know, God's trying to kill the inner man. We're trying to resurrect him, you know. God's trying to get him, burying, you know, burying. You're a new creature in Christ. We're trying to dig him up and get him resurrected. Come on, do some CPR on him. Hair falling out. he it, and, you know, leave the dead man where he's at. Amen. leaving in the baptistry under the blood. Amen. That's why if you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized so you can bury the old man. <laughs> so what I'm talking about. We're buried with Christ in baptism. Yes, you do. You need to bury the old guy. Try to resurrect him, hook him up to a crash cart and all that kind of stuff. Let him go. Send him flowers. Amen. Amen. But our problem is we're addicted to self-help. And you know what that's done? It's turned the focus away from God to us. Come on, help me out now. The only way I can relate this is to tell you my own experience. When I first came here, I had an accident right out there. Most of you, uh, very few of you that are here now were here then. We've grown. But there's a turning lane out there that probably most of you think was always here. It wasn't you are looking at the reason there is a turning lane there. I will tell you how it came about. I had been here one year, and I stopped out in front with my blinker on to make a turn into the church drive, and a girl was on her way to see her dad on Father's Day and bent over to pick up the gift that had fallen on the floor, and she was bent over doing 55 miles an hour when she hit me, and I was sitting still. And so I went down... To the local emergency room, the radiologist wasn't on duty. They took x-rays and somebody looked at it and said, oh, you're fine. You can go on home. Next morning, the radiologist called me and said, don't sneeze. Be careful how you walk. Make sure the ground is even and not wet. Don't slip. You have two vertebrae subluxated and they're pressing against your spinal cord. And if you slip and fall down, you could be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And that began a series of of seven uh, different, uh, I said seven this morning, I think it's eight spinal surgeries as a result of seven accidents. I got rear-ended three years to the day, again, right in the same place. And that's when the county, Mr. Jim Fontino, who was our councilman, they decided to put a turning lane in here. Amen. Second time I was hit, a lady was actually high on drugs. Driving a pickup, looking over her shoulder, thought somebody was chasing her. She was doing 75 miles an hour when she hit me full out. And I was parked right in front of the church going to preach. Amen. Did I mention that I had been rear-ended seven times? Did I mention all of the drivers were women? I just thought I'd... Throw that little trivia. <laughs> you know, that's just trivia. You want to know how bad it was? After the first accident, Jerry, my wife, was driving me for an MRI after the, the radiologist called and told me I had to have one. He said, put a neck brace on. We got a neck brace. We were on our way over toward the medical center to have an MRI. Stopped at a red light. Wham! Another lady hit us. I got out of the car, all shaky, seeing if I was still alive. I, I'm checking. Am I, <laughs> am I still here? You know, and she saw me in my neck brace. She said, oh, no. She whipped that car around, peeled out. I memorized her license tag. I had to call the police because there was a, needed to be an accident report. We were in a rental vehicle because the other one was already in the shop, you know. <laughs> you know. I mean, that, that this is the truth. And, and so, you know, I received a phone call on Monday morning. It was the woman who hit us from behind. And she was irate to the point of shouting. She told me, I want you to know that when you stopped at that red light and I hit you and you got out of that car with that neck brace, I was on my way to see my psychotherapist that, at that moment. And you so traumatized me, you have set me months back in my recovery. And I am considering going to an attorney and suing you. God is my witness. This is too real to have made it up. It can happen in Houston, baby. Don't think it can. After all of those experiences, you know what happened to me? I didn't know I had a neck until that happened. And all of a sudden, I've got a neck now. Yes, I have a neck. Not only do I have a neck, I'm thinking about my neck now. I'm thinking about my neck pretty much 24-7. And so when I walk, how's the neck right now, you know? Got a neck here, I didn't know it. I have a neck. I look in the mirror, I got a neck, amen. I'm driving, careful, you got a neck now. You know, somebody walks up, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I got a neck, you know. And and that's what happens to us whenever we are wounded. Yes, it is. Everything gets viewed through that. And before you have an
1: encounter with destiny, you need an encounter with God. Because it gets your eyes off of you and gets it on him.
0: And somebody in the building say hallelujah here today. You understand what I'm saying, what I'm communicating? Moses had an encounter with God. And out of that flowed destiny. Amen. Look, the other thing I'd like to point out about this is Moses, as I said, he didn't even know he was stepping out of Kronos time and the Kairos time when he had a God encounter. And you stop chasing after destiny and start chasing God. Because here's what happens. And I'm going to talk next next time I speak on this. I'm, I've got one more uh, message. I'm going to talk about this, but it's not one of the 12 immutable laws. I want to tell you how you can be right in the middle of the will of God and still be unfulfilled. I'm going to show you how you can be right in the middle of the, of the will of God and unfulfilled. And the reason is, is because... We make everything about us, and it's not about us. It's about him. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Amen. One other point I'd make about this is that God's time isn't your time or my time. Moses is 80 years old when he has this God encounter. How quickly we forget that. He's 80, folks. Most of us will have been on Social Security for years at that point. We've given it up. Whatever dreams we had, we let them go. Whatever aspirations, whatever goals. By the age of 80, if you hadn't got there, you're not planning on getting there anymore. That's for the next generation. No, God wasn't through with Moses. God can show up when you think time has run out because he operates on a
1: different calendar than we do. We hate where we're at, and yet it's where we're at that God has placed us.
0: Moses would not have had that God encounter anywhere else. And we have to be careful that our burning bush doesn't show up after we've already left. Some people get ahead of God, impatient. I don't understand that. Boy, you think long and hard before you make major decisions of relocation in your life, whether it's by relocation, I mean anything is, can be as, as simple as relocation to another family unit, leaving the one you're at, relocation to another city because you got five cents more an hour. You understand what I'm saying? People relocate, get mad and leave a church. You're burning bush, you may have just left that behind. Well, I'm preaching a lot better than some folk responding. I didn't say that, did I? Yeah, I did. It may not be your time, but it's God's time. First Chronicles 14, 13 through 16. Once more, the Philistines raided the valley. So David inquired of God again, and God answered, Do not go directly after them, but circle around them and attack them in front of the popular trees. And as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move out to battle because that will mean that God is going out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Jezer. Think about that. When you hear the marching, what does that mean? He's called the Lord of hosts. You know what host means? Lord of armies. And that means when you hear the sound of marching, and the tops of the mulberry trees, you know what that means? It means the, the angel army just showed up. Some of us march before the army gets there. We get out of God's time. And so don't get ahead of God by being impatient, but don't fall behind God but by, by procrastinating either. Seize the moment. We hate the, where we're at. We hate the desert. I, I didn't spend my years in a university. I haven't, you know, spent all of my time working this job to be where I'm at right now. God's not through with you yet. But you don't understand. I'm getting older. God understands all of that. He can use an 80-year-old man and supernaturally empower him. You say, why God wait so long? Because he wanted Moses to know who really got the glory out of it. And who earned the glory? you'd done it any sooner, Moses would have thought, oh, it's my education from Harvard. Harvard. You know, being Pharaoh's son, that's what brought me here. No, 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 no. Uh uh-uh, uh, but you're gonna need that education. You're gonna need what you learn. You're gonna need what you learn in the desert. But it's gonna give credit and glory to God. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you one other thing I've noticed about God's timing. It's often when things look worse that God says it's time right now. Have you figured that one out yet? Have you seen that? Oftentimes at the darkest hour is when God shows up and says, wow,
1: it's time.
0: Amen. And you're looking around saying it's too late. I said, oh, no, it's not too late. Look at 2 Kings 7, 1 through 2. Elisha replied, and this is at a time when Israel was going through the worst famine it had ever had. It was besieged by the enemy. They had cut off supply routes to the city. The city was in starvation. They were doing horrible things, selling things and eating things that under normal circumstances nobody would touch, but especially them. Because of their dietary laws that were incorporated as part of their religion. But they were forced to, 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 to reach so low. So, in, in such a bad state. That they were selling things that normally they would have turned their back on. And disdain. And these things were commanding extraordinary prices. You know how bad it got in that city? In that, that famine? Mothers were making agreements with one another. To kill and eat their own children. And the city had resorted to cannibalism. That's how bad things had become. Those are the dire circumstances that provide the contextual setting for this story. And Elisha walks out and says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Boy, there's six words you don't want to say. Unless God said it, hello, hello. I know people, oh, God told me this, and God said this, and God told me to tell you. You know, and sometimes God does tell people things, but you need to be real careful about what you say about that because when God said it, stuff's getting ready to happen. And this is what the Lord says tomorrow about this time that a measure of wheat will be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for uh, a shekel in the gate of this city where there's famine. And there was immediate, immediate disbelief. In fact, one of the king's advisors was was there and he said, if the Lord were to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? Well, right away, I know he's not a tither because if he had been a tither, he would know the Lord could open the windows of heaven. Malachi 3 says it. You say, I can't relate to that. What does it mean, a sea of the finest flour for a shekel? Let me break it down to you, okay? It's like going to McDonald's and getting 12 Big Macs for a dollar, all right? I come home to you now. Amen. You, you, You get this, okay? It's like going to the local catfish shack and uh, seafood shack and getting, a, getting 10 dozen fried shrimp for the price of one. They, they, they just slashed prices to the bone. Black Friday had nothing on this thing right here. <laughs> I mean, folk up all night, you know, standing in line. If you had been there, you would have been, been right in the middle of that. If folk could do it to get 25% off, what would they have done here? Because they slashed prices to the bone. And this is what the prophet was saying. Right now you're in famine, but tomorrow about this time, they're going to be practically giving food away.
1: Now I got a word for somebody. Tomorrow about this time. Somebody needs to claim that in Jesus' name that's been walking through a dry spell tomorrow about this time. Somebody's breakthrough is coming tomorrow about this time. Ooh, Lord, can I just do what I feel like doing I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now.
0: Hallelujah. You've been walking through a dry spell lately. Going through a rough place. Wondering why you're here. Wondering why all the reversals thought you'd be further along down the road than you are right now. Looking at the calendar watching the gray in your hair and The wrinkles in your face and and saying, I don't know what's going on. Look like my season passed me by. No, it didn't tomorrow about this time. Hear what I'm saying? And I don't know how long tomorrow may be. For you, maybe it's 30 minutes from now.
1: For you, maybe it's 30 days from now. I don't know, but I just know this. God's getting ready to do a divine turnaround in somebody's life. Mutable law
0: number 12. And you need to know this concerning destiny. A clue as to where your breakthrough is coming is where you're being attacked and struggling right now. burning bushes don't show up in Pharaoh's palace they show up in the desert after you've given up hope you hear what I'm saying they show up in the worst places possible when everything is lined up against you and the odds are stacked and the tables have turned against you and you look at your hand that life has dealt and it looks dismal and and poor no way you can win with it that's a good time for God to step into the picture yes it is Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. A clue where your breakthrough is coming is where you've been struggling. This is what your ministry is all about. Amen. It's who you are. It's the desert where your breakthrough is going to be Moses. Don't you understand that? Your breakthrough is not in Pharaoh's palace. You weren't going to sit on that throne. You thought you had it all figured out. Uh-uh. What God's going to do is take you back into the desert after you've learned it.
1: And you know what's going to happen? Angel's food's going to appear on the ground. And God's going to air condition it by causing a pillar of a cloud to come over you by day he's going to provide central heat at night
0: by causing there to be a pillar of fire. He's going to make a rock follow you through the wilderness gushing water and streams and rivers in the desert take place and nobody's going to know how big a miracle it really is like you will know Moses because you were there before it happened and you saw what it was before God stepped into it and that's what's going to happen with you in your life. You're going to know what it was before God stepped in the middle. Amen.
1: I'm talking to somebody right now. Tomorrow, about this time, there's a breakthrough coming. I feel it in my spirit. Somebody's on the verge of heaven intervening. Yes.
0: Being attacked on your job, attacked in your health, attacked in your finances, your marriage, attacked in your mind. I gotta quit. Life application points. Holy accept that God is real, His Word is true, and that He created you for a purpose. Give it up. Let go of your doubt. Don't hang on to a sliver of unbelief. Let it go. Let God pump it right out of you. Let your His Word fill your being until it radiates all the way down to your fingernails. Amen. From the from the roots of your hair to the toes of your feet. Amen. Be filled with the word of God. God is real. His word is true. I read it. Ephesians 1 and 11. Everything he did, he did with purpose. And he predestined you. Do you know what the word destine means? Destiny. That's what it means. That's the root word. Number two. Don't just seek purpose. Seek Him. Moses didn't get anywhere till he turned aside to seek the burning that was not consuming. Our God is a consuming fire, but the bush was not consumed. He turned aside to see that. Don't just seek purpose, seek Him. Here's why. Because it's all about Him. Amen. And number three, seek Him until you have a God encounter. Or oh, somebody in the building say yes. Now I don't know what a God encounter will look like for you. Maybe different from me than it is from you, because God's so multifaceted that He doesn't need to pull out the same old experience every time. Jacob wrestled with an angel. Saul got knocked down off his donkey. Moses saw a burning bush. Three Hebrew children had a fourth man appear in the middle of the fire. Daniel, they close the mouths of lions. All I know is God has his way with you and you don't need to be seeking anything but God. Let him work out the details. Come on, just look at your hands and say, let go. Let go, go. come on, let let go. Amen, let go. You know the one job I would not want to have it would be to be a professional instructor teaching other people to drive. I wonder how many times they've got to reach over and grab the wheel. (laughs) Let's just hope their reflexes are fast enough. I get the feeling that sometimes God's wrestling with us over the wheel. Tell your hands, let go. Number four, spend the rest of your life doing what he shows you to do as an act of devotion to him. The last part of that is what is so critical. Do it as an act of devotion. Here's why. Because if you do it thinking that's going to fulfill you, guess what? It will become empty too. You can, be having, you can have the most exciting destiny in the world. You're, you're listening up. The most fulfilling job in the world. But after a few days, it stops being fun. You know why? It's called a job. Come on, eureka moment right now. Aha. Yes, it's a J-O-B. Not Job, it's job. You understand? Listen. Listen. You know that underwater photography has been a source of joy to me my entire adult life. I was just a young man when I first got certified. And when I traveled the world. One suitcase with my suits and shirts and, you know, and Bible and Strong's Concordance. Other suitcase, my underwater cameras. And I loved photographing all of this stuff under the sea. And one time I was contracted to do a job magazine. They were going to publish my pictures. And you know what happened? As much as I loved it, it stopped being fun because I had deadlines. And it turned into a job. And I, when I finished that, I never signed another contract. You know why? Because that was my way to relax. And as much as some of you love your, your hobby, this is why these athletes, they grow up loving the game and then get out there and start making a living at it. Then it turns into a J-O-B. No matter what you do and how much you love it, if you're doing it for you, guess what? It will become old in a hurry. But when you do it for him, as an act of worship, it never gets old. It's new every time you do it. Just like worship never gets old. The one thing I never get tired of is being in the presence of God. You hear what I'm saying? David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold His beauty. Amen. Hear me. Once you touch God, you never get tired of that. And whenever you do what you do as an act of devotion to God, it will never get old. It will never get old. This is why, listen, I have people tell me, slow down, Pastor. You travel too much. You know, you smell the flowers. Today I smell plenty of flowers. <laughs> Amen. But the truth is, every day of my life I do. You know why? Because I'm doing what I do as an act of devotion.
1: This is my worship to God. Don't take that away from me. This is my destiny. And I'm giving it to God because I love Him so much. It's worship. I don't even call
0: it sacrifice. It's worship. Number one, wholly accept that God is real. His word is true and that he created you for a purpose. Number two, don't just seek purpose, seek him. Number three, seek him until you have a God encounter. And number four, spend the rest of your life doing what he shows you to do. But as an act of devotion, even ministry becomes a job to some people. I'm serious. I hear people getting burned out all the time. I hear ministers. There are seminars, like I told you, neck. Okay, neck. Ministers have seminars too. They're not the kind that, that laity have. They're seminars on how to avoid burnout. They ought to have me come speak at one of those. I'd say you're all wasting your time. What you need to do is not learn how to avoid burnout. Learn how to do what you do as an act of devotion to God. Because I don't get burned out. You understand? You understand? Oh, you you have it easy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I do. Follow me because I spend over 60 hours of every 168-hour week just traveling. Spend a little time with me. Be gone from your family as much as I am from mine. You think I don't enjoy all of that? Sure, I do. But what I'm offering to God, I'm offering as an act of devotion. So when you do that, it keeps it fresh. Number five, when your time comes, everybody say, seize it. You got to grab it, get it, or lose it. You hear what I just said? Grab it, get it, or lose it. Carpe diem, seize the day. Amen. You got to bury your fingernails in it and hold on. When your time comes, you got to be like the little woman with the issue of blood. I don't care who tries to talk you out of it you got to make your way through. you got to be like Bartimaeus. you got to cry so much the louder. When your time comes, you hold on to what you've got. Don't let it go. Tell somebody, I'm not letting it go. Would you do that? Now let me just ask you what Moses would have done if he had bailed out of the desert after the 39th year. Never thought of that, did you? Going back to Egypt. Like his desert, yes, Moses, but your destiny is going to be determined by a God encounter. Oh, he would have had McDonald's again and fountain sodas and all that because he'd been back in Egypt, but he would have missed out on destiny. He would have had life easy, but somehow I get the feeling that he would have spent the rest of his life in misery, even though he might be spending the rest of his life in the lap of luxury because... His destiny was waiting at a burning bush. Stand with me across the building. Have I helped somebody today? Somebody in the building say hallelujah. Join me in prayer quickly. Come. Pastor Irvin, come. I'm going to have to get you up here very, very quickly. I asked Irvin to close the service for me because I'm going to have to go over there lest I be late. So, So come join me quickly because I want to pray over you. Pastor Irvin's going to lead you in prayer, lead you into the presence of God, because I have preached my heart out to you today. Move in close, move in close, because I want to pray for you like a father prays for his children. Let me ask you this. Don't you want to see your kids do the best they can do with their lives? That's how I feel about you. I want to see you be everything God ordained you to be, to have that inner satisfaction and that sense of knowing I'm living my destiny I'm living my dream Father I pray right now For every man, woman, boy and girl In this building There's not a one of them too old There's not a one of them Who have gone through too much There's not a one of them Who have passed their expiration date Not a one of them There's nobody whose shelf life Has already come and gone Every person here is a child of God With amazing destiny. And potential for the future not a one of them no matter where they are at what desert they may be at right now what dry place in their life that have gone beyond their purpose or their dream or their hope for having destiny fulfilled and I release it in their lives today and I speak over them divine purpose that Satan cannot snatch away I release over them today everything that pertains to their destiny and I call out of them the greatness that you've put inside of them to live a life that's exhilarating and fulfilling and to do what God has called them to do. In the name of Jesus, I declare it and I speak it for your glory. Just elevate your hands where
1: you are right now and just say these words, Dear Lord, I seal that word in my heart, I take a step back from my plans and walk into your plan. Thank you, Lord, that today I give myself away to you and to your plan. Could you just sing this with us real quick? I give myself, I give myself to you. This is a great moment for you to elevate your heart to God. Your life is not your own. To you I belong. You belong to God. I give myself. Hallelujah. I give myself Hallelujah. to you. Hallelujah. Oh, my life is not my-